Good afternoon, my name is Karen Vincent of the Lois Law Firm. Today I'd like to welcome you to, to the webinar addressing temporary disability benefits. Today is July 23, 2018. As you know, we do a webinar every month for New Jersey. It is the fourth Monday of every month and for New York, it is the third Monday. As always, these are complimentary and you can just log in and watch them. Also, if you ever wanna look at an an archived webinar from the previous months. You can always just go in onto the website, click webinars and scroll down to archive webinars and we have all of them posted for your review. Today we're going to be talking about uh, temporary disability benefits. The prior months we've been talking about various defenses. So now we're in the stage of discussing actual benefits for the petitioner. So the, for the purposes of today's webinar, we're actually going to be addressing uh, temporary disability benefits when the petitioner is out of work. So in these cases, we're going to presume that the uh, employee has been confirmed, there was an accident, and that there was a medical impairment where the doctor has advised that the petitioner is not capable of returning to work. Now, in workers' compensation, the petitioner is entitled to four types of benefits. First, we have medical benefits. Second, we have temporary disability benefits, and that is what we're addressing today. That is under statute NJSA 34-15-12. Third, you have permanency benefits. That's after the petitioner has reached MMI and the doctor is given impairment rating of permanent disability. So we generally try to reach a settlement agreement on uh, permanent disability for the petitioner, last is death benefits. Uh, so as I said today, we're gonna be talking only about temporary disability benefits. In November, we will be addressing permanency. Next month, we'll be talking about motions for medical and temporary benefits as well. Temporary disability benefits, how do we calculate the petitioner's temporary disability rate. What we do is it is 70% of petitioner's average weekly wage. So you take the gross weekly wage and you, and you multiply it by 0.7 and you get petitioner's temporary disability rate. Now, the state does set in, in New Jersey maximum and minimum disability rates. And what that means is that when the petitioner is receiving temporary disability benefits, there's a max rate for each year and a minimum rate. If you go on the Department of Labor and Workforce website, they do have a listing on the main page which has and reflects the maximum and minimum rates of compensation. As you can see where it says workers' compensation, what's new at the DWC, about three quarters of the way down, it actually lists 2018 workers' compensation rate, $903 maximum and $241 minimum. Now this chart just shows several years to, so that you can see how the rate has been updated every year and it's gone up slightly uh, pretty much every year. There were a couple of years uh, back from 2008 where the rate actually adjusted down uh, due to the market changes but for the most part, it generally creeps up a little higher every year as it's uh, a cost of living adjustment. 
important to note is that um, when we look at these rates, we go by the year for the date of the accident. So if the petitioner was injured in 2017, we use the 2017 maximum rate and minimum rate and so on. So we'll be coming into the year 2019 and the state will release what the updated uh, rates are. They will only take effect for dates of accident from January 1st, 2019 and ongoing. So when we're calculating the average weekly wage, what do we use? We like to ask the employer to get us the petitioner's actual wages. We like to look at their payment, uh, their, their uh, salary payouts, and what we look at is the 26 weeks preceding the date of the accident. And essentially what that is, is they'll give us uh, all of their personnel records and it'll show all of their pay stubs and we look at the last 26 weeks. Generally speaking, that uh, the thought process behind that is you're getting a true average rate of petitioner's compensation, taking into effect that some weeks they may make more money, other weeks they make less, so we're getting a true average. Now, in certain instances, we've had cases where the petitioner's injured on the third week that they were employed, so we can use the two weeks leading into the accident. Generally speaking, we don't like to use the week of the accident itself as it is common that their times would have dropped off or they would have been placed out of work after the accident, so we don't use that week. And if we have a full years of wages, we can use that in calculating and take their full year salary and calculate what their average weekly wage is. Now, it is also important to note that we do not reconstruct temp. What that means is if the petitioner worked 20 hours a week, the rate is calculated on those 20 hours. We do not reconstruct it to a 40-hour work week. Now, the reason this is important is that in a permanent disability uh, situation for settlement, there are instances and there are case law that will address times when petitioner's rate is then reconstructed. So it's very important to know that during the time of temp, it is never going to be reconstructed. Now there is a waiting period before the petitioner is entitled to temporary disability benefits. The waiting period is for seven days. So in this instance, and when the petitioner is placed out of work, the petitioner has to remain out of work for seven days before they are entitled to temporary disability benefits. Once that seventh day occurs, the eighth day triggers temporary disability benefits. Now, obviously, the temporary disability benefits would be owed from the date that the petitioner was originally placed out of work and then through the present and ongoing. There are two things to look out for. First, the seven days do not have to be consecutive. Therefore, the petitioner could have been placed out of work for two days, come back to work for several days, then out of work for another five days. It is seven days overall. Once there is overall a seven-day period, the temporary disability benefits are then due and owing. Second to look out for is that the doctor has to actually place the petitioner out of work, meaning the petitioner can't just show up at work and say, I'm unable to work and leave, and then be entitled to temporary disability benefits. The doctor has to actually give his opinion stating that the petitioner is unable to work during this time period. Now, a lot of our clients want to know the big question, when can we end temporary disability benefits? First, if the petitioner reaches maximum medical improvement. Now, what this is, is when the doctor says, there's no real treatment we can do for you. We've done everything we can do. You've reached a medical plateau. Now, this type of MMI can be uh, where there is continued 
palliative treatment, but the curative treatment is over. And the difference being is that while the petitioner is undergoing treatment that can actually cure their disability, they continue with the authorized treatment. There are instances when there's follow-up palliative care. This could be pain management, continuation of medications. During that time, if they're uh, undergoing palliative treatment, a lot of times the doctors will say they can return to work, however. Next, light duty. If the doctor states that the petitioner is capable of returning to work light duty and gives modified duty examples, they can't lift over 30 pounds, they can't stand or they can't drive, and the employer is able to accommodate these light duty standards, then the petitioner must return to work. If the petitioner re refuses the light duty work that the employer has offered, then temporary disability benefits can be terminated. So there's two ways under light duty. Again, the employer offers the light duty and says they're going to be able to accommodate those restrictions, the petitioner returns to work light duty, and therefore there's no temporary disability owed. And two, the employer is able to accommodate the restrictions and the petitioner refuses the light duty, we still terminate temporary disability benefits. Next is 400 weeks. That's a cap that the statute places. The petitioner cannot receive temporary disability benefits for longer than 400 weeks. Now, if you think about it, that is roughly eight years of temporary disability benefits. So after that cap, then anything after that would be considered permanent disability. Now, obviously, if you're looking at a case where the petitioner was out of work for eight years, the likelihood that they're going to be deemed perm total is very high. So again, in discussing ending temporary disability benefits, the petitioner cannot refuse light duty work. We have had instances where the employer cannot accommodate it and the petitioner remains out of work and continues to receive temporary disability benefits. However, when the employer does offer it and the petitioner refuses it, we're going to terminate the benefits. Also, there's voluntary resignation or a clear refusal. They could come to work and then just refuse to do any work or they quit their job. In that case, we're going to terminate benefits. Lastly, the petitioner cannot knowingly violate a condition of the employment in order to trigger getting himself fired. Now, there is a case Cunningham versus Atlantic States cast iron where the petitioner was returned to work and was continuously tardy, was leaving early, was missing days of employment, that he was scheduled to be there. In that case, the employer fired him. The petitioner turned around and filed a motion requesting the judge order the employer to continue paying temporary disability benefits. However, the court did find that the petitioner was knowingly violating a condition. We've also had cases where the petitioner has returned to work and it could be light duty and the employer has a drug test and the petitioner fails. And in that instance, the petitioner's employment was terminated. The courts have looked at those cases and said, if it is something that is commonly done in the employer's uh, realm, where they they have previously and they they sporadically have these drug tests, then it was done in a good faith business effort. So the key there is that uh, you don't want to just start making things up. You don't want to have where the employer never gave a drug test and all of a sudden they do. You really want to look for that good faith. 
So in that case, again, the petitioner was terminated and no temporary disability benefits were owed because the court did feel that the petitioner was knowingly violating. They were trying to get themselves fired. Now, it is important to be careful about ending temporary disability benefits because there are penalties if temporary disability benefits are ended prematurely. So when you are going to terminate, normally what we like to do is send a letter to petitioner's attorney enclosing a return to work note, letting them know effective this date, uh, temporary disability benefits are going to be terminated because the doctor has opined that the petitioner is capable of re returning to work. We are hereby notifying you that the employer can accommodate the return to work and the petitioner should be instructed to go back to work. Now, if it is found that there is a premature termination of temporary disability benefits, there can be a penalty of 25% under NJSA 34-15-28.1. It does state that the judge has the jurisdiction to assess a 25% penalty. This is in addition to a, an attorney's fee that is likely going to be requested by petitioner's attorney. Now, attorney's fees are always within the judge's discretion. So what they're going to look at is how much work petitioner's attorney had to do in order to get temporary disability benefits back up and running and received by the petitioner. 30 days is considered late. That means that if the petitioner has been out of work and should have been receiving temporary disability benefits and over a month goes by and still hasn't been receiving the benefits, the court is going to look at this as potentially late. Now, this is a rebuttable presumption. The reason behind this is that a lot of times when the payments are late, there is an extenuating circumstance which gives reason for it. We've had multiple cases where it turns out the petitioner moved and the adjuster had been sending the temporary disability benefits and the checks were actually getting returned. I've even had cases where it was us that reached out to petitioner's attorney and said, we're getting these returned checks. Did your client move? And lo and behold, they had moved and never updated their addresses. Now, lastly, uh, the, the recourse petitioner's attorney has is they're going to try to file a motion for medical and temporary benefits seeking these temporary disability benefits owed. Now, in cases where there's authorized treatment already being submitted to, technically the statute does not allow for petitioner's attorney to file a motion for medical and temporary benefits solely seeking temporary disability. Usually it's something that should be addressed at the time of settlement. However, when petitioner's attorney files these, a lot of courts will find that in, in the interest of making sure that the petitioner still has incoming um, income, that they will address the issue and, and hear the motion itself. Now, when we do file our opposition, we do claim that the motion is deficient as the, the statute technically does not allow for this type of motion to proceed. Now, this leads me to a common question that comes up. We get this extremely often. Can we terminate while petitioner is on temporary disability benefits? The answer is yes. However, you really have to make sure that the petitioner is not being terminated because they filed a workers' comp case or because they had a workers' comp accident or because the petitioner is out of work on temporary disability benefits. You want to steer clear of that and make sure those are not the reasons behind the petitioner being terminated. But you do have other instances where there's a justifiable reason. The company may be closing that location and moving locations. There could be voluntary uh, layoffs. It could be eliminating jobs. The contract with the petitioner could have ended. 
So in those instances, again, we look at was there a good faith business reason why the petitioner was terminated from employment? And if so, then it is obviously something that can be done. The next question we're going to look at is whether there is partial temp in New Jersey. Now, we're going to start off by saying that the statute does not address partial temporary in New Jersey. There's nowhere in the statute that allows it and discusses it. And there really is only one unreported non-precedent decision that was issued. So in this specific case, heard in South Jersey, the petitioner was receiving $1,000 per week prior to the accident. So as we discussed earlier in calculating the rate of compensation, their temporary disability rate would be $700, and that's 70% of their gross weekly wage. The petitioner received their temporary disability benefits. Then at some point, the doctor opined that the petitioner was capable of returning to work light duty. The employer was able to accommodate the light duty restrictions, and the petitioner returned to work. However, their paycheck was then only $500 per week. The petitioner's attorney filed a motion asking for the differential of $200. So essentially their argument was the petitioner actually was making more money sitting at home watching TV, eating bonbons, than coming back to work. So they wanted the difference owed for that temporary disability benefit rate. In this case, the judge did order the differential of $200. So what we've looked at and the reason we don't agree with this type of decision is that New Jersey is not a wage replacement state. It is a whole man impairment state. When we're calculating petitioners permanent disability, it's based upon permanent partial total of their body. What is their permanent impairment to their injuries? We're not supposed to be taking into consideration potential future loss of earnings, their earning capacity post-injury. But in this decision, clearly the judge was taking a humanitarianism approach, was trying to look at what's fair for the petitioner. So in light of that, he found that the employer and the insurance company needed to pay that $200 differential. Now, what is interesting is this case has never been appealed and the issue has never actually gone to the appellate division. So in the interest of making good case law, you really want to have a great case that you would take up to the appellate division so that this can really be addressed. As I said earlier, there's nothing in the statute that actually allows or lots for a partial temp order. So generally speaking, under the statute, it really should have just been the $500 per week. Now that concludes our webinar today. Next month's topic is defending motions for medical and temporary benefits. That is obviously if the insurance company, the employer denies petitioner's request for treatment, petitioner may file this motion seeking the court to compel medical benefits and temporary disability benefits be ordered. That webinar is gonna be August 27, 2018. I will be back here again to present that. Also, if you have any questions on the topic we just covered, please feel free to email me. My email address is kvincent, that's K-V-I-N-C-E-N-T, at lois, L-O-I-S-L-L-C dot com. If you have any general questions about temporary disability benefits or anything involving workers' compensation, please feel free to reach out to me. Thank you so much, and we'll see you next month.